So as I do some um, active transportation, you know, like bicycle, pedestrian type of community work back home, where you have white leadership who cares about these issues and they want to take the language of like marginalized groups so that they're informed and they can talk about it and they can seem woke without making (laughs) space or room to really develop the leadership from within these communities of color that they can basically take up that space and help lead their own communities that it's like, no, I want to be able to talk like Akila, but I don't want to give Akila the space, you know, to do that work. You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Do the most, uh, yeah. And I work kind of flex. Listen, I'm still very much on a Wakanda high, yeah? <laughs> I'm really loving the energy around that movie and everything that it brought up, right? Because so much of it is not just contained to the movie. So I'm really loving a lot of that, even in conversations with people who are newer in my life through self-directed education, we've connected. And I love how just very organically infused into our communication, our terms like, yo, Wakanda strong, or <laughs> or I'm on my Wakanda today. <laughs> it just feels really good. Yeah. So I'm using that energy today. <laughs> I'm a Wakanda flex and the soundtrack. Have y'all heard that song called Seasons? On the Black Panther soundtrack, do that for your life. You're welcome. So this week on episode 67, we are going to be talking about the Liberation and Education Summit. When I went to the Liberation and Education Summit, I really went to observe and gain more insight. It's a new space for me and a new space for my son. So I wanted to just understand how others were making that connection with self-directed education, de-schooling, liberation, and social justice. I wanted to just understand how they were making that connection and how they were practicing that in their daily lives. One of the things I really liked about the summit was the panel because the panelists was able to share in their way how they are practicing liberation and how they're de-schooling. And it was just It just gave me insight and allowed me to be more introspective and allowed me to put more thought into how do I want to show up personally. The things that they talked about was just like how self-ownership was connected to de-schooling and um, how decolonization needed to happen in different areas in their lives. And then also how like to value soft skills. And it was just a lot of insight on how to look at how we can be liberated through self-directed education, and I really enjoyed that part of the summit. That summit was one of the first ones that not just I, but many of us, because we talked about this, had heard of that wasn't focused on the public education system. It wasn't focused on reforming it. It wasn't focused on vilifying it. Or, you know, just in some way centering the public school system, the current situation as the framework for the conversation on how we should approach living and learning with children and teenagers. So that was the first thing that really 
caused it to stand out for me when I found out about the concept of it and that the folks at Hartwood ALC here in um, Clarkston, right outside of Atlanta, when I found out that some folks from Hartwood, facilitators as well as some parents, were feeling through and had plans for and had met up about putting together a summit or an event around self-directed education and something that was inclusive of how education was liberatory, I was just super excited about that because it gave us opportunity to talk about learning and living instead of focusing on school. And thankfully, we were able to maintain that focus. The structure of it was really cool. It was a one-day event. It was 9 o'clock to 3.30, and it just started with some general openers, you know? We introduced ourselves. It was a, a room of, I don't know, maybe 60 people. We did some small group rounds, as they called it, just talking about some of the big SDE and social justice questions, starting with a broader framework and then going down into the specifics of some of the challenges, some of the successes, some of the different ways that self-directed education was being applied to people's lives in ways that were wonderful or answering some of the curiosities around people for whom self-directed education seemed like a viable option, but they just didn't have a lot of understanding and examples of how it worked and what it can do and, and what it can look like. So we spent the day immersed in that, both in the large group setting and then also in those smaller group rounds. We had um, several schools and centers present in terms of self-directed education spaces around Atlanta, and even a few from North Carolina and Tennessee, people representing from Arizona. I don't know, maybe I'm forgetting somewhere else, but it was wonderful. We had some breakout sessions, and so the overall view of that 9 o'clock to about 3.30 was really just about diving deep together and then diving deep in smaller group settings into varying aspects of self-directed education and the application of self-directed education as a means for helping people to liberate themselves. So all that awesome sauce was present there. And um, I'm going to give you some clips from different topics that were discussed there. I wish we had audio from the group rounds because I was in one group and the groups followed each other to different tables, answering different questions together in a way that I found really, really useful. And, and generally, I don't like gamey stuff where you go to a conference or event and they make you like do icebreaky shit and answer random questions. I cannot stand that. <laughs> and what I appreciated about the summit is that they didn't do that at all. The things that we were talking about were specific to what the hell we came there to talk about. And I wasn't trying to get to know you personally. I wanted to talk to you in the context of SDE and let it organically unfold. So here are a few different snippets, a little mixtape snippet with some of the clips from the summit. And then at the end of this, I'm going to talk to you about how to stay in touch with the organizers and the participants, some of the participants of the summit as well. So listen all the way through. I'll talk to you again at the end. What is liberation through self-directed education? What does that mean to you? The liberation piece is that it's very like culturally mediated where we get to like be intentional about 
the space we hold in our home for our traditions or our practices because a lot of it is also tied to decolonization. As a Mexicana, as a Chicana who has both like indigenous and African and European and Asian, you know, different ancestries and trying to create a story or a narrative around what that means for our family and learning those histories and how we come to be, that that's, part, that's so important for our liberation from that colonization that happened in the mind. Maybe it's not in our bodies anymore, but it's still in our mind. And that's part of that liberation that we're constantly trying to uphold, you know, and cultivate in our home. Why not all lives matter, self-directed education? Why make it so political? I think privileged groups are the ones who can say things like not making it political, you know, because by our very existence, by the way we take up space, by the historical conditions that we exist in, we embody that politic. And so it's kind of strange for me knowing the conditions that we exist in to be like, oh, it's political. Well, my breathing air right now, you know, is is political. So it shouldn't, that shouldn't even be brought up as a thing or as an as an issue the way that I see it and it is I know we talked a little bit earlier about the discomfort those are those opportunities that we all need every day um, so that we can grow and that at the end of the day why race and class and gender and all that is important is because we're socialized with it every single day (laughs) and we're socialized with implicit biases every single day even if we navigate a marginalized group we are getting those messages and by not talking about it and by not putting it on the table you know we we continue to give them power to oppress people i don't think it's possible to make it more accessible within the current economic model um i think that these type of spaces will continue to be silos in upper middle class communities, no matter the ethnicity. And I think that what it would take to make it more accessible to lower lower socioeconomic communities and, and children and families is by those people coming together and organizing to be self-sufficient in ways that don't have to rely on, you know, making money. Because at the end of the day, you know, a space can say we want to be more accessible, but it always comes back to money. Everything comes, we're all slaves to money. And if we don't break the chains of that, none of this is going to change. We'll move it around. We'll talk about it a lot. But at the end of the day, it's going to continue to look the same, just in different ways. There'll be some incremental, you know, there's always incremental things, but uh, we'll continue to face that need for people to have to pay bills and to make money. So I believe that people need to start organizing and trying to figure out ways to support one another and be self-sufficient outside of having to go and, you know, do it in traditional means. What if marginalized students get too much freedom in SDE spaces and can't navigate hierarchical and conformist <laughs> nature of society? Won't this be dangerous or put them at a disadvantage to contextualize it? Um, we know that any young person can quite quickly and easily turn anything into a gun or a weapon. But as we know, in SD spaces, oh, it's fine. We're not going to kick you out for that. But then when the person, when a student of color goes out, 
that's not something that they can do. It, as we know, can get them killed. But for a student that maybe is not of color, probably is not going to be made a big deal. Again, how do we balance that out? In the SD space, you can do whatever you want, but then out in the world, maybe you can't. The perceptions around self-directed education are much more powerful right now than the reality of what it is. And a part of the perception is that it's YOLO, you know, <laughs> and it's not. So, so to that specific question, in an SDE space, your black or brown child is going to have a discussion with someone, probably many someone's, maybe another learner, another person in their age range about Oh, you do know as a little black boy that if you walked out of there with that gun in your hand, maybe da, 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 that conversation is going to come up because because they're not afraid to have those conversations. So they've probably come up before. So context and environment are are different. So I don't I think it's not real. It's not true to assume that if they're in that space, then they won't be prepared for these other real worldy things. And then then the other thing outside of that example is I don't want them acclimated to a lot of the real worldy type things. When our girls were younger, even saying the word vagina, you know, we were in Publix and Marley said something and she's like, oh, it's something about my panty on my vagina. And the man in in the line in front of us, it was a, this tall white man and his daughter and she looked like about four or five and he moved her towards him. And I said, vagina. Like, you know, so... so wasn't ill-prepared because she said vagina publicly. What happened was she got to see how someone reacted to that, and then we were in a position to have a conversation now to be like, yo, a lot of people are really tripped out about vaginas. So you want to make you know? So, so it allows for those conversations in a safer space than today we're going to talk about down there. You know what I me when navigating outside of the home or outside of these like safe spaces that I do have conversations with them of what like society does ex- have these expectations and they and they came up even before they were little and I mentioned this earlier in one of the groups because my kids had long hair um, growing up and people always called them girls and um, they would get really upset you know and say that they were boys um, and then I mean, on different levels of, like, what the expectations that we have of what boys and girls look like to begin with. But then all of a sudden, I had this realization, too, that, like, oh, they're internalizing by them having to defend that they're boys. They're internalizing that being a girl is there's something wrong and they don't want to be associated with being a girl. So then I had to have this other conversation with them about, like, because of these, the way that society expects girls and boys to look like, I don't want you to internalize that being a girl is bad, something's wrong with it. As like your mom, somebody who navigates being fluid in their gender identity and how they take up space in the world, I was like, you shouldn't be offended, you know, by So we had this whole conversation about that. And the next time somebody um, misgendered my older son, he was like, oh, don't worry about it. I get it all the time, you know? So I was like, oh, having those conversations make a difference. And I think that's part of our role, but also hopefully they're in environments where those conversations are also happening. So then it's not just like, yeah. One of the biggest fears whenever I speak to parents is, in this self-directed environment, will my kid be prepared for the real world? Yes. 
Um, would I be able to go out? Would I be able to go to college? Would I be able to get get a job? Right. And I understand. I empathize with that concern. For me, one, if you already touched on it, it's not, you know, a free for all. You know, when you say you do whatever you want, when you're in community with other people, you know, there's some some things that you have to negotiate and just keep being in relationship with other with other people in general. There's you just can't ever just do what you want. We're all interconnected in so many ways. But in terms of that fear, in terms of parents dealing with that fear, a resource that jumps to my mind really quick that I want to share is, again, I'm dropping the name Ken Robinson. He has a book called Out of, Out of Our Minds. I don't think that most people realize that how fast the world is changing. And what in your mind you're preparing your kid for isn't going to exist by the time they reach you know, the high school age, depending on how old you are right now. But even in the next two, three, four years, it's not going to exist. We have reached a time in history where change is happening at the most rapid pace ever, ever. Like changes that literally used to, that may have taken a hundred years in the past happened in one, you know, a week today, you know? So, and that's not an exaggeration. And when you listen to Out of Our Minds, Ken Robinson like breaks this down in an amazing way, um, how fast things are changing and, you know, why and through technology and all these various things that we have access to. So we're literally afraid. We're like we're we're focused about we're focused on preparing our kids for the world our parents grew up in. But um, honestly, what we're doing in terms of creating space for your your child to like really figure out who they are and take ownership over that and and really know who they are and what that is, it's going to prepare them so much more for this world where there's no security in, out there right now. There's no guarantees. No degree is going to guarantee anything. Their skills will guarantee something as well as their self esteem. You know, and their feelings of adequacy around who they are as a person, those things that get developed, the social skills, being able to interact with people and and diverse people and different things and being able to communicate all these various, you know, soft skills are going to be so much more valuable in in the world that we're going towards. I always encourage, or at least for me, because the thing is, you can kind of get an SD and kind of you still can steer your kid in the way you want. If we're being Mm -hmm. honest, as a parent, you're still in control, depending on how you parent. Whether you're in an SDE environment or not, you still can push them in a direction that you feel comfortable. But in my mind, the beauty in this is that because the world, the future is so uncertain, that these young people are going to be the ones who are going to be designing it. So I'm happy that we're not preparing them for that. (laughs) If I can say that. So I'm I'm happy that we're not. I know it's not going to be for everyone yet because this is the future. They'll come back around. That's kind of my, my, my thought process. We've been talking about race and class, but how does SDE and social justice also interact with issues of gender and learning disabilities and mental emotional health and gender expression? And the reason why mental health is like so much, so many people struggle with anxiety and depression. I believe that everyone's on that spectrum in terms of your rate of bouncing back determines where you are. But I believe that the instances of that are so high nowadays because of all the dysfunction around a lot of the stuff we're talking about. But just the stresses of keeping up with the pace of what? Of profit and industry. Industry and profit drives all this and is killing people. There's people now that work seven mandatory overtime and working seven days a week. Poor people that work in factories. Breaks my heart. So, again, going back to the young people with this, you know, the idea that they have learning disabilities. Like, you see your kid learn all the time. Why are you letting someone tell you that they have a learning disability? 
Mm -hmm. We don't know what learning looks like. We call it certain things. Yeah, it's a disability. If they have to learn this particular thing in this at this particular time, at this particular rate, like, who gets to make up those things? So it's just like, we're all designed the way we're designed. We all have value in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I just hope that we can get to a point where we can create communities and systems that honor people for who they are and what they bring and allow them to bring it. And then for those of us who are those 64 gig that can go, go, go and bring a lot, bring that too and support those people that maybe can't do that and don't stigmatize and make them feel bad, you know, in terms of their, their rate of processing stuff and processing stress. The other part I feel is like a, a more social, there's a social component to it. Because what happened in my family was somebody told us that to win at life, we had to uh, go to the best school we could, wherever in the country, and that ended up splitting up my family. Now I live in all different states. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like us trying to operate and build community, how do I yes. do that? I don't have childcare. My mom lives in another state. Like yeah. For me, it's all about like, I'm right now in my life, I'm like scratching and clawing to find a deep community where we can be situated to be able to support each other in these like bartering type ways, even when it's not an official arrangement. I'm like, can we live in the same neighborhood? Like, can we be in the same circles as possible? Like, I need some church people overlap in my school, people overlap in my neighborhood so that I can actually have resources to be able to pursue these, you know, these other types of education. Yes, and that's happening. Yeah, we were t- talking about that. That's happening. Intentional in sm- Yeah, you know, maker spaces. These things are happening, and a lot of them don't happen above the radar, and they won't, nor should they. You know what I mean? So that's why I love these little pockets of communities, because some of us will feel safe or comfortable or crazy enough to like come above board and be like we don't send our kids to bed right but then but then there are other groups of people who don't have crew like I have a lot of family members I mean we're Jamaicans we have family members everywhere (laughs) where we are so we can feel safe to be like when Marley and Sage wanted to we didn't even have to be here we could have sent them to Georgia with you know with family So these are the things that are happening in a lot of spaces now. I know, for example, Seattle, there's a lot of like parts of like South Seattle, you know, where folks of color are getting together because they're being pushed into certain parts of the city and they are getting together and being like, Abuela's at home because she doesn't go anywhere and she has all these wonderful skills. And of course, because we're not thinking, well, she's a formally trained science teacher, so she would be perfect. That has nothing to do with it because we don't look at learning like that. And if we need a formally trained science teacher, we could actually get one. And what would that person's needs be? Sometimes it might be financial and maybe in the group we can do that. Other times we can find things that have nothing to do with money at all. I, I think it's important for us to know that these things are happening. Yeah, that we're yeah, not definitely. the weirdos wondering like where and they why. But obviously that's it's not enough to know. Mm-hmm. And for us to feel like we're scratching and clawing to find it is maybe a really messed up feeling, but also important because that's how we're like, all right, what what then does it take? What then does it take for me to do this? Where do I need to live? Um, yes. What do I need to stop doing mm-hmm. in order for this to happen for real? Yeah, burn it down. Yeah. We don't actually want to stop the conversation. We want to move them to intensives for you all to continue them. So what we're going to do is take like a two-minute, maybe a minute and a half break, and then you will move to a specific... Hold on, don't go yet. Don't go I have yet. instructions. Okay, you'll go into a specific breakout room. In each breakout room, we'll have a specific question or topic for you to talk more about, 
take uh, notes on. I'll give you more paper, more markers. Um, yeah, and I will tell you which rooms are which subjects. So there you go. You got a good dose of all the things that were explored and expressed, the questions, the laughter, (laughs) um, some of the concerns. And in the room, there was just so much. We did a gratitude circle. Wait, I'm trying to remember. We do so many meetings (laughs) in that very same room that the summit was in. I'm trying to remember whether the gratitude circle was at the summit or one of the community meetings that we've done in there. Hmm. All right, let me retract that. So we were in gratitude. (laughs) Many of us who stayed after the summit for a bit to talk, we were in so much gratitude about the way that we weren't pitching self-directed education. This wasn't a sales pitch. I know I get that a lot where people say, you know, some of the things that you say, people may not be there yet or this and that. So you got to be able to really like sell it. I've heard that a few times. I refuse. I am not selling it. This is not a a pitch. And this is us because I'm one of many. This is us conveying something that's been really, really effective in our lives. Or for some of us, it's something that is newer. And we are so hopeful because of the sort of research and community and realizations that have happened for us as we've started SDE. So I feel like the energy of the summit, you know, the way that it was put together really supported that that idea of it not being something as like, why are you not on this? What is wrong with you? More so like, here are the reasons that it is such an incredible opportunity to practice liberation in a practical day-to-day way, or to figure out how to do that, or to develop the language for doing that, and the community and support for doing that. So we talked about all of those things, and we're meeting again. They're um, having a follow-up brunch in March from the things that came out of the summit. So this wasn't just like a one and done thing. We're really looking to develop a stronger sense of in-person community for folks in and around Atlanta. And we still are very much committed to helping build community in Atlanta. That's where our families are. And because it's another city (laughs) in the world and every city in the world should have an option for self-directed education for the families who want and need it. If you want to stay in touch with Heartwood Agile Learning Center, the folks who put this summit together as a part of their Heartwood Talks series, then make sure you go to their Facebook page and that link will be on the show notes page. It's episode 67. So the link, of course, is akilasrichards.com forward slash 67. All right. So make sure you go to the show notes page because it's going to have links to some of the resources that were mentioned links to the Facebook page, links to the panelists that you heard. The panel was comprised of Scott Speed, whom you've heard on the podcast, and I'll link to his previous or one of his previous episodes, and Lane Santa Cruz, who you've also heard on here. She was a panelist, and I will link to her first episode on the podcast as well. And I'm going to be doing more work with both of those people too. We just have been having too many kumbaya moments (laughs) to leave it there. So thank you for listening. As always, if you enjoyed what you've heard, go over to patreon.com forward slash Akila and support the show. This is a one woman show at the moment with occasional support from an editor and from a virtual assistant at times. But by and large, it is moi 
and your support is deeply appreciated. I write and do videos and audios exclusively for Patreon as well. So there's an exchange there even above what I do every week here on the podcast. So you can go for as low as a dollar a month or you could do a thousand dollars a month. Both of those and anything in between. Deeply appreciated. Thank you, Hartwood, for the use of the footage in this episode. Fear of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces, breathing life into liberation practices proactively and on purpose. It's about parenting. It's about self-directed education, loving. It's about learning. Thanks for listening to Fair the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at akilasrichards.com.